All right, Carolyn has one question to follow up. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, about my fear of inadequacy. Like it seems to be a, like the the fear that influences my choices the most. And I also noticed during um, yeah training, meditation, and also remote viewing and healing and all of those other things that I have this sort of very attachment to the outcome like every time I I'm successful it's like I, I start to feel really good about myself you know and I <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like my ego feels like oh wow it's like, yeah I am adequate you know it's like it's uh, like this little sort of validation that I get every time I have a success with something but I do also feel like that that limits me and my abilities Because I do take it very personal what it has to say about me that I'm able to do those things. Yeah, well, the trouble with being overjoyed that you uh, that you uh, can remote view and get it right is that then you're crushed when you get it wrong. And then, oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get it right all the time? Oh, well, I just must not be good enough. And then that feeds your the insecurity of not being good enough. So the better attitude is to just say, I will do these things. And as I, you know, I will learn them or I can practice them. And I'd like to understand them. They don't have to work. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And then try to figure out why is it that they don't? Oh, it's my mind. My mind is settled down. You know, I get the ego. I want them to work too much. I have performance anxiety. I need them to work. And then they stop working. So then it takes you back and say, well, I need to get rid of that fear. I need to just let it be however it is. And I need to be able to access the data in the databases and review and heal and do all those things. Just because I can. Not because I need to or prove anything to myself, but because I can help people. So you have a sense of not being worthy, not being confident, yeah. and that it, that it affects all your choices. So how are you going to be more confident? What can you do to be more confident? or to build confidence. One is that you can stop having expectations. You can stop saying, well, I expect to be able to do things right, and I expect to be able to get right answers. And if I'm not, then I need to fix that. There's something wrong with me if I don't get the right answers or if I don't do it right. So expectations are a problem. You may expect too much of yourself. You expect too much of yourself because you're not satisfied with yourself. So if you could just be authentic and be yourself and let that be enough and then change yourself when you feel and when you see a need to, when you see that there's something that you need to be differently, then change that. But don't judge yourself on what you 
you know, what you expect of yourself. You expect yourself to be perfect in all ways. You'd like to be that. But it's better to just be authentic and be who you are and not have a need to be right. Just be who you are, and that's good. I don't know if that'll help or not, but it's very difficult to... to get people who don't have confidence to have confidence because they don't have confidence that they can gain confidence. And the lack of confidence undermines the gaining of confidence. So it's one of those uh, things where you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps a little bit at a time. But I'd say expect nothing. Just be who you are with no expectations. Maybe that'll help a little bit. Don't punish yourself when you're not perfect. When you do things that are, that are, you look back at them and you say, oh, see, I shouldn't have been like that. I shouldn't have gotten angry. I shouldn't have been upset. That's all about me. Oh, I'm not good enough. You see, that's the wrong conclusion. It's not I'm not good enough. It should be, oh, I need to change that. Because you're confident that you can be good enough. You can be grown up. You can be a being of love. It's just you have a lot of things to do yet. You have to change things. And changing it takes time. So you are you become negative towards yourself when you don't measure up to your own expectations or your own what you want to be. And that's a problem. Many people do that. That'll hold you back. Don't be judgmental about others don't be judgmental about you just accept that that's the way i am now but i can change that and i'll work on changing it and it's a lifetime's work and i'll probably have some done that i'll need to work on it some in the next lifetime too i probably won't get it all done this time but i'll work on it the best i can and if you have that attitude then you won't feel negative about yourself Being inadequate starts with negative feelings about you. Not being all that you think you should be or want to be. But combat that with just accepting who you are, being authentic, and realizing that you have places that you need to grow. You have fears, you have things that you have to deal with, and that you will deal with them. And you'll deal with them not by taking a pill or reading the right book, But you'll deal with them by having a strong intent to get over it, to get beyond it, to let that fear go. And every time you start to mess up, whatever that is, get angry, get upset, feel bad about yourself, you'll stop and you'll say, "Uh, that's not helpful. That judgment is not useful. All right, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to beat myself up because I am who I am. I'm going to accept that and then try to change. That's a more positive attitude. I don't know if that'll help any, Caroline, but that's about the best that I can do because it's a very hard process to get out of once you're in it. Because when you feel inadequate and not good enough, then you'll do something that will just prove that's true. Oh, see, I just got angry. I got upset. Yeah, see, I'm inadequate. 
And then that negativity will keep you from growing. So you don't accept that. You just accept who you are and that you can change and that you will change with time. All you need is people in your life to have patience and accept you however you are and deal with you however you are. And then and you what just if be I don't you. Feel, and what if I don't feel accepted by the people I'm surrounded with? Well, then you have two choices. You can change or you can find other people. The people around you are too hard on you and just can't let you be who you are and accept that you're a work in progress, then you need to find people that can accept you just the way you are and that you are a work in progress because everybody's a work in progress. And to be judgmental that you're not good enough, then that's not really a very good person anyway. So what you need to do is Try to change. Say, okay, I've got these issues. These issues cause trouble. And I will try to do better. I'll learn. I'll grow from it. I won't let it happen again. I start feeling it happening, I'll stop it. I won't let it happen again. So you get committed to that, that you have to put forth the effort to fix it. And others around you will have to be committed that you're doing the best you can to deal with it. And they will have to take you the way you are. Now, if you can deal with that fear, then you'll be in a, in a way that's easier to take. <laughs> if you don't deal with that fear, then maybe you'll be harder to take. So it's something that has to just work itself out together in your relationships. You have to be who you are, but you also have to be serious about changing who you are. And... Others have to accept you the way you are because they can't force you to be any way other than you are. You're the only one that can grow yourself. All they can do is give you an environment of safety, an environment of caring such that you can, you know, you can stretch out to be that different person because that's scary. So all you can do for other people is to give them a, a supportive environment in which they can work on themselves. And as long as they are trying to work on themselves, then you can cut them a lot of slack. So that's, you just have to find that situation where other people have their own issues and you need to cut them slack. They have issues they need to cut you slack. We all, all the people on this planet need to keep cut each other some slack about, you know, being who they are. And we need to focus primarily on our own growth. And we hang out with the people that uh, that work for us, help us grow. So sometimes people that push you, it's good for you. You may need to be pushed. That may be your personality, that you don't grow unless somebody's pushing you. On the other hand, if they push too hard, maybe you can't grow when you're being pushed on too much. Those are things you just have to work out in life, you know, with the people that are around you, with your family, with your significant others. You have to find that accommodation where you can 
help each other grow up because everybody's got fear and ego and beliefs and everybody needs to move away from that. And if you find people can help you do it, that's golden. But even if you don't do it on your own, then it's easier to find people who help you go from, from there. The more you grow up, the more everybody wants to hang out with you. The easier you are to take, the more fear you have, the harder you are to take. So part of it is just you have to work on it. And part of it, of it is other people need to appreciate you and that you are working on it. So everybody has to work together. It'll all work out, Caroline. It's just, you just need to stay positive. Right, Masi? She needs to stay positive. She needs to not concentrate on what's wrong. You need to concentrate on what's right and celebrate what's right. Enjoy what's right. Enjoy the things that work. And be deeply committed to changing what's wrong. That's all you can do. Other than that, you let the chips fall where they may. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and so, because I have been also taking that advice from you and I've been like, every time I'm like catching myself with like negative self-talk or judging myself, I kind of go into this, like, I don't want to be this way. I don't want to be this way. And then, but sometimes I feel like I'm getting trapped because I feel like I'm getting this negative emotions and I feel like I want to get rid of it. But because I sort of don't, I feel like if I don't accept it as a part of me first, I feel like there's a lot of resistance. Exactly. So. You have to own it first. Yeah, that's the first step in getting rid of a fear is you have to own that fear. You have to say, that is me. I am like that. I have that fear. And the second step is saying, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have that fear, and I want to get rid of it. But step one is owning it. Yeah, you can't, you can't throw away what you don't have. If you don't have it, if you don't own it first, then it's really hard to get, get rid of it. And it could be a big step. You know, these things take time. Don't push yourself too hard. Say, okay, between now and the next decade, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to deal with these things. Work on it, but don't beat yourself up. Like everybody else, you're doing best you can with what you've got. Just keep doing that. Everything else will work out all right. Be positive. Don't look at the don't look at the things you're not. Just be positive. Look at the things you are. Look at the things, you know, look at the good things you bring to the table. Look at the positiveness. Focus on that. Be aware of the negative because you're working on getting rid of it, but focus on the positive. Same with everybody else. Focus on everybody else's positive. And let their negative aspects go. That's something for them to deal with. Just interact with the positive part. The negative part, just let it go in one ear and out the other. Don't process it. 
Don't process it. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Don't don't struggle with it. Don't take it personally. It's just it's their problem. Okay, but so what do I do then? To just uh, if somebody's, some, for example, angry about me about something, then I just uh, um, let it go. Then I just let it go. Just okay. let it go. Okay, they're angry. It's if they're angry, that's their fear, their ego, right? Angry. That's not anger. Doesn't come from a place of love. Let them deal with it. It's their thing to deal with. If somebody's angry with you, then they have to deal with that. Just let it go. But if what it does is make you angry and make you defensive, then you've just poured gasoline on a fire you're trying to put out. You just accept it that they're angry. That's okay. And it'll, it'll go away in time. And you can think about what, you, what parts you might have played in, in triggering that anger. And you can say, oh, well, it's not nice to push other people's buttons. So if I triggered that anger, what did I do? I'll try not to do that anymore. Because you're around people. You know, if you know that such and such makes somebody angry, then you don't do that with them. And that just limits what you can be and do with them. But that's the way it is. You know, so there's lots of people that almost everybody you meet in life is going to have buttons because they're full of fear and ego. The people will have buttons. And you should try to avoid pushing those buttons because you don't want to make people go off on, you know, on fear trips and get angry or get upset or feel bad about themselves or whatever their button is. So you try to avoid pushing others' buttons. If you push others' buttons by mistake, then well, you learn something. Don't push that button. And if that pushing other people's buttons is something you seem to do a lot, then that's probably something you'd like to change about yourself. Don't be that way. Don't be that way that then pushes other people's buttons. Be more caring about their buttons as you get rid of your own buttons. Okay. But Thanks. figure there, everybody else is just doing the best they can with what they've got to deal with too. You see, we're all... This, you know, we're struggling here together, trying to grow up. So we can help each other. Sometimes we hurt each other, but we try to move toward the helping each other, make our life about that. Yeah, it's just such a like. I just feel like I'm getting myself into this, into this traps with with my intellectual understandings of um, yeah, the truth. Yeah. The intellectual understanding can be a trap. It can just start spinning you around in a circle where there's no way out. You just need to let that go. Just let it go. It's like taking off dirty clothes. You know, just take it off and th throw it someplace. Throw it in the hamper. Just don't let your intellect tell you things. Just say, I'll, I'll learn things as, as I experience them. I'm not going to try to justify things. I'm not going to try to, to be, you know, to defend or justify. I'm just going to be. Yeah. It's like with this, with this, with this thing of being like inadequate, I mostly, yeah, I mostly get into this trap of, oh, I should be another way. I should be that way. Or I shouldn't have done that. I should have made a better choice. I should be better. I know what the big truth is. So I could be better. And it's like, this is how yeah. I mostly get myself 
Yeah, and you can think that once, but once you think that thought, I should do, I should be better than that. I shouldn't be that. I shouldn't get angry or defensive or whatever. All right. Now you've, you've faced that, that you should be. Now let it go. Now, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to not push buttons? How are you going to get past it? That's what you need to focus on, not just keep going around and around about what you're not. You just need to, that's just a fact. Now, what are you going to do to fix it? And then you're going to fix it and everything's going to be perfect. So focus on when you're fixed. Focus on the positive. Don't keep dwelling on what's wrong. Tell your intellect to go take a nap. Just let it go. Accept stuff as they are and move on to the solution. Yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. Tom, uh, Titi also has a follow-up question. Please go ahead. Yes. Um, it, it's not really a follow-up. It, it's a, a, a actually a totally different topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a question that I've been wanting all right. to. Is that okay? Yeah, that's all right. It's, it's even a fun question, I think. It's the one that I've been meant to ask for a long time. Um, oh, let's see if I can get my one drive going. Yeah. You see, uh, this is about cats. Uh, we have two uh, wonderful indoor cats at home, and they are about 14 years old. And they are, uh, yeah, more or less the central figures in our family because mm -hmm. they bring so much fun. So this question is about their growth. Is there anything we can do to help them grow up? For instance, should we stop them when they fight? Or are their fights helpful, helpful for their growth? Should we create fake challenges for them? Uh, and when they get scared, for instance, when the vacuum cleaner strikes, is there anything we can do to help them without fear? So these are just some examples. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing you can do is understand that they are just little creatures all on their own, of their own, you know, quality and understanding. And try to see reality from their viewpoint. And again, it's not so much, you know, that you train them as you help them adapt the things they need to adapt to. So if you're going to vacuum and you have to get that vacuum cleaner out and the noise scares them, then, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to sneak up on them with that. You know, you want them to be able to maybe see what you're doing. And as soon as they see you getting that vacuum cleaner out, they go hide under the bed. Well, that's okay. Then, you know, maybe, uh, leave the bedroom till last and maybe don't vacuum that room until they, they get out in someplace else in the house and they're somewhere else. Then you can go in and vacuum that room that way. Then they can hide, you know, in the bedroom on the other end of the house or, you know, someplace else. So you can work with them like that and figure that's just them. It's the way they are. The loud noise frightens them. And, you know, there's a fine line between training your animals and bullying your animals. You, you want to 
get your animals to to be good citizens in your house and to not do things like you don't want your cats to scratch the furniture with their claws you know so there's certain things you can demand and you can train them just by repetition and repetition but it needs to be positive you, know, you don't training with negativity is not the best way to train. It's better if you can train with positive things. I know some people who train their animals, dogs particularly. Nobody talks much about training cats. That's uh, that's that's in the too hard to do basket for most people. But cats can be trained too. I even saw a guy who had a can, a can, a trained cat show. It was out of Key West, Florida, and he had a bunch of trained cats, and he had those cats doing all sorts of things. But uh, I suspect he probably didn't feed them the day of the show until during the show, and they all had to do their tricks in order to get fed. He had something, he had something to to encourage them to do what he wanted. But you can train train cats, but you know, there's this. There is a, a philosophy in training dogs that is harsh, that they, you know, you tell them to down, and if they don't go down, you put your foot on their leash right next to their collar and you slam them down on the ground so they understand what you mean and that they must do it when you tell them to. Well, that's breaking a dog's spirit and bullying the dog into doing what you want. That's not the same as training them. No, and there's, there's, more gentle ways of training to get a dog to do a down, you know, than slamming them against the ground if they don't do it. So I recommend the gentle ways in dealing with animals. You know, those are little individual critters that are in their, you know, have their, their own fears, mostly animals. You know, we talk about particularly dogs, but cats too, you know, oh, they're just love. They're just so full of love. Even when you're mean to them, they still love you anyway. Well, Dogs and cats are full of ego, they're full of fear, and they're full of beliefs. They're full of all the same stuff we are. They've got lots of ego. All you need to do is watch your dogs around other dogs, and you'll see that ego coming out. And, uh, you know, they're not just little little bundles of love like people make them out to. You know, they're like we are. They're full of fear, ego, and belief, same as us. But the same as the same way you treat people, you're gentle with other people's fears and other people's beliefs and other people's egos. You don't slam them because of it. So you need to be gentle with your animals and understand like in a pack. Now, again, that doesn't apply to cats, applies mainly to dogs. That Packs have different ethics than people do. You know, it's okay for the, you know, the leader of the pack to tell the other dogs that are sitting in the chair to get out of the chair because the leader of the pack wants to sit in the chair. Well, that's proper dog ethics. You know, that's the way they are. It's the way their structure is. And to fuss at them for being that way is not helpful. You're asking them to be some way that's against what's inside of them, which is sort of like trying to teach a cat tricks, right? You're asking them to be in some way that's just not the way they are. You know, they're very independent creatures. So you have to let them be that way. So 
So yes, I think there's things that you can you can do, ways that you can give them a more enriched environment. They're like, you know, if you if you want to know how to treat cats and dogs, think about how you treat people. You know, it's it's basically the same way. If people have a very non-rich environment, if you take a person and they never leave their house, they just never leave their house and they don't have a computer and they don't have a TV, they just are in a house by themselves and maybe they don't even have any books either. They're just there. So what are they going to do and how are they going to be? Well, they're going to be a little frightened of the world. You know, they're going to be, you know, various ways. Well, what would you do if, if, if that was, you know, a person? Well, it's the same thing with your cats. A good thing to do for those people would be buy them some books, buy them a computer, right? Get them a, get them a, a TV. <laughs> yeah, get them something to, to else that they can have. So with your cats, give them things, give them toys, give them interesting things in their life, places that they can crawl into and hide, uh, you know, find out things, you know, things in their life that, that, that uh, are interesting for them. And part of that has to be with you taking time to play with them, you taking time to interact with them. That's a very important part of their life is the interaction that they get with you rather than they're just the creatures that share my house and they get along on their own. They do a lot better if you spent time with them. You've know, you got to spend quality time with your kids. you got to spend quality time with your cats, too. They also need your quality time. But, because that's what I've been thinking about, the interaction between the human mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the animal, if that is um, uh, inspiring for them. Yeah, that and is. It's, it's helping them uh, growing. Yeah, It is. It's very important with them that they have that mm. that interaction. But you mm. have to... But, you know, a cat's going to interact like a cat. You know, the dog's going to interact like a dog. They're going to interact mm. different ways. But mm. both have their ways of doing things. And both need to be respected. So when they have things they need to do their way, then you need to let them be their way and not force them to be your way in everything. But where you draw a line in the sand there is, no, you may not sharpen your claws, you know, on my furniture. You may not, you know, do certain things in the house. And there you just have to be consistent, positive, but consistent. And mostly the animals will learn, particularly if you give them caring and love other places. They will they will learn. But yes, your interaction with them is very important to them. And their interaction with each other, if you've got more than one cat, that's very important, too. Uh- but what do you think about, because I've been also studying them when they are fighting. They are two, it's one sister and one brother. And they fight, well, maybe three or four times. Well, maybe once a day. Just <laughs> so like I've all thinking, sisters and brothers. Is that, yeah. Is that instincts? or And is this something they learn from? Or is this something that we should maybe split them when they do that? Because oh, well, it's it negative for them. I, I, I don't know. If, if when they're done, one of them has to go to the vet and get sewn up, then you need to stop it. <laughs> no, no. When they're, if when they're done, they both just get up and walk off in their own way, and nobody's really hurt, then let it go. That's It's what they're doing. It's their own mm-hmm. way of doing things. Now, if one of them is constantly trying to escape and the other one is pursuing them, 
then I'd step in to give that one that's trying to escape you know, a break. But as long as it's they just, you know, they just interact with each other and three or four times a day they get in fights, well, that's just them. That's their nature. And I'd let them let them do whatever they do as long as nobody's getting hurt. So as long as they both seem to be on the same sheet of music, they both want to fight. It's not just one pursuing the other, then you should step in. But if they both seem to want to fight <laughs> in an equal amount, you know, maybe one starts it most of the time, but if they both get into it, then just let them be. They're just being cats. They're just being animals. They're, that's part of their world. I wouldn't try to make them live up to human levels of ethics. You know, if your children were to start fighting each other like that three or four times a day, <laughs> I'd say separate them, you know. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not acceptable behavior. But we can't expect animals to live by, you know, human behavior rules. That's mm-hmm. it's not they're not the same. Just like dogs in their hierarchy. You know, they've got hierarchies in their pack. And if you've got four or five dogs in your house, that hierarchy is going to show itself in ways. And to humans, well, that's rude. Pushing the other dogs off the couch so that this dog could get on the couch. That's not fair. You know, well, in their world, it's not only fair, but it's necessary. That's the pack. That's the way life is supposed to be. And they're not humans. And if you're if you're lower in the pack that you have to get up and move, you don't do that begrudgingly. You do that because you need to, because that's just the way life is. So the, the ones that get displaced, they're not like humans being disgruntled. Ah, a big dog pushed me off the couch. <laughs> they don't feel like that. They just feel that that is part of the way their life works. Big dog gets to sit where the big dog wants to sit. Other dogs accommodate, and it's the way they are. Nobody finds that to be a problem. Even the smaller dogs don't find that to be a problem. It's just life. I, my, my son had a, a small dog, and it had the strangest behavior is it wouldn't eat until he came home from work. That's because the big dog gets to eat first. And that dog, you know, had... My son was the leader of his pack. It was only the one dog. So there was a pack of two. My son was the leader of the pack, and his wife was probably just another part of the pack. And the dog put himself in there someplace, but the dog refused to eat until my son would come home and eat. And if it didn't feed it all day long and it was hungry, it still wouldn't eat because it wasn't appropriate for it to eat until the leader of the pack eats first. So they just have that, you know, and, and to, to try to force them to do something different is not nice. The dogs have their own rules about life and how things should happen and the order they should happen in, and you have to let that go. Now, cats probably do too. I've had a cat when I was much when I was little, but I haven't had cats for a long time, so I'm not up on, you know, cat rules. But I'm sure cats have their own rules about who gets to sit, you know, on top of the bookcase and who doesn't. And mostly you have to let them work that out in their own and not impose your own human ethics on them as long as they're not hurting each other. 
or one's not, you know, stalking the other one and forcing, you know, one cat's not bullying the other cats. And you can put a stop to that. It sounds like both your cats enjoy the fight <laughs> equally <laughs> much. You know, it's just something they do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, they, it might be a game for them or they're yeah. playing, I think. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. So, so interaction with us and communication is good and playing with them, yeah. finding new stimulation for them. Yeah, also... finding new stimulating things, things that interest them, things that they can do mm. that broadens their horizons. And often yeah. with dogs, the way you do that is you take them out. You know, you yeah. take them out on a leash. You take them with you when you go to stores that allow dogs to be in the store and you let them be mm. with you as you do things in your life. Yeah, it's a little more trouble, but uh, it's good for the dog to have a more interesting life. Because if you had to just sit home all day in a house with nothing to do, mm. you'd probably get a little quirky yourself. And they sleep. <laughs> yeah, they sleep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. dogs my dogs fight with each other too, but it's all play mm. fight. Nobody ever gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean I've got one dog that's, you know, eighty, ninety pounds. Yeah, you know, he's he's a monster. I got another one that's more like six pounds. And that little six-pound dog attacks the big dog, and they fight, and they you know, make all kinds of noise. It sounds like it's a really serious dog fight, but, you know, they're just playing. They're, mm-hmm. just, they're just having fun, and nobody ever gets hurt. But it doesn't sound that way. I mean, it probably it's not fun if you don't actually put your voice into it, you know, and get into it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be fun, but. I don't break those things up. I let them go do that because it's just part of whatever, you know, it's what, what dogs do. And they both, they both like it. Well, at least the little dog likes it. It's the little dog that goes around biting the big dog's feet saying, play with me, play with me, play with me. And the big dog says, go away, go away, go away. And then eventually they end up playing with each other. You know, the little dog usually gets its way and they end up playing. But while they're playing, you can't even see the little dog. It's it's almost covered by the big dog, you know. And you think the poor little thing's being killed. It's squealing. It's it's not doing anything. It jumps up. It runs and it starts it all over again. You know, it's they're just being dogs. I think boredom is the biggest problem that animals have in a house is that they're just left to their own accords and they don't get out much, and they don't have a very interesting. They don't have a whole lot that that gets them excited. That's why they're so happy when you go get a leash. You know, they mm. start jumping up and down if they're dogs. And I don't know about your cats if they're indoor cats. You need to have toys and things for them to play with, and mm. and get a little laser pointer and shine a little dot red dot on the floor. You know, let them chase that around. Some do some things like that with them to mm. just give them something else to do, other than sit around and sleep. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Tom, we're going to wrap up the session with a question from Cheryl. Cheryl wasn't able to make it uh, today, uh, so I'm going to read this for her. As the process of getting rid of fear continues, that seems to be a subject here today, I become easier and easier to see all the hurt I caused others out of fear. The more I see and learn about myself has caused me to see that I used to be a rascal. I saw someone close to me suffer 
in unimaginable ways, which made me assume that anyone close to me is in mortal danger of suffering and then dying. Children think crazy things. I thought he got sick and died because I loved him and I needed him. I assumed that if I needed anyone or got close to them, that they were going to get sick and die too, which may be why, which may be why I became a nurse as that if being around me made them sick, um, I could do it. I could do, I could fix it. In other words, two things. How does recovering rascal learn not to be so hard on themselves? You can just picture Cheryl saying this, right? (laughs) Even though they did cause others pain. And two, how can I get better about physical suffering in others as I'm still very sensitive about this? I know the sensitivity is because of my fears on the subject. I want to be caring and supportive of others who are suffering, which I am when I encounter it. It just seems that it wrecks my mind dealing with health health issue suffering. Um, Do I just need to keep working on the fear and stay away from others who are having these problems until uh, it gets, I get better? Am I not, I'm not sure how to do this, not wanting help making my choices. I'm just searching for a better understanding on this matter so I can make better choices. Mm-hmm. Almost slipped into a Texas accent there, but I thought better of it. <laughs> um, well, people have experiences when they're young, and they read an awful lot into it, and it can change them for the rest of their lives. Most Many fears, particularly the fear of being inadequate, is picked up when you're small. Um, you know, you don't get enough attention. You uh, are constantly told, not now. Um, parents have a habit of letting children just be and not interacting with them until they do something wrong. And then they fuss at them. And the child then gets the idea that, you know, my only, my, the 80% of my interactions with my parents is them fussing at me, telling me I'm doing it wrong. Well, then they start to feel inadequate and like they can't do things right because otherwise that they're doing things wrong is what brings them, the, brings the parents in to interact with them. Some take that and say, well, I'll do more things wrong because that will make the parents come in and give me attention. And then they start acting out on purpose to get attention. Others shrink and become inadequate. So lots of things that happen to us when we're very young, we take with us into adulthood as irrational fears, irrational things that we believe about ourselves. And just the fact that Cheryl is aware of it is probably about 80% of the solution. Once you're aware of it, getting over it is something that, you know, just takes a little time. You just have to be aware of the fact, okay, you have this belief that, uh, you know, you, you nagged somebody into the grave, you know, because you were always doing something. Well, that isn't true. And you know as an adult that that's not true. That was just the perspective of a child. And you know that you were, uh, you did hurt other people. 
You weren't the perfect child. Well, that's just being a child. Children are self-centered. That's the way they come. All children are self-centered, even the ones that are very grown up and were, you know, quite enlightened in the last life. When they come into this life, they come in and they're pretty self-centered. It takes a while to grow out of that. Some more, some less, but it's the nature of being very small and very young is that you don't know much. You have very little experience and you're very vulnerable. And you think about yourself. So being self-centered is a, is a natural thing of young people and they do hurt others. They do hurt their brothers and sisters sometimes and others, but you just have to look at that and say, okay, that's, this is the way it was. This is how I felt about it. That doesn't make sense anymore and let it go. My nagging somebody did not drive them, you know, to illness. There was other things going on there besides that. You know, that wasn't the main problem. And just like all the rest of the fear, Cheryl, that you have worked out of, you just have to, when you bump up against that fear, you just have to say, I don't want to be that way and get through it, get over it, get beyond it. Take little steps. If there's something you're afraid to do, you're afraid now to interact, just take little step, steps. Interact in little ways. Take a, a half step toward that. That's scary, but do it, just a half step. And then go back, and then another half step, and go back. And once that half step becomes okay now, because you've done it a lot, then take another half step out past that point and come back and work your way to in small steps. That's how people overcome all sorts of mental beliefs and phobias, things that are buried deep to the point that they don't even know why they're afraid of spiders, they just are. Okay? So all sorts of, of mental beliefs at deep levels can be overcome by doing just a little bit at a time. If you know the people are afraid of spiders, they first just show them a picture of a spider in a book at a distance. Then they get them to hold the book closer. Then they get them to touch the page where that spider is. Then they show them pictures of bigger spiders and they get to touch that on the page. And then, you know, they show them a little spider that's alive, you know, in a cage or something. And they get them to come up close to that. And just little tiny steps at a time over time, they can walk somebody out of a total fear of spiders to being where they can get along fine with spiders in a normal sense. They're still probably not going to pick one up, but they're not going to run from them because they see one on the other end of the room. So that's what you should do to get through this, is take little steps in your own life, things that you'd like to be able to do, but you just have a hard time bringing yourself to doing it. Take little steps until you get comfortable with that little step, until that little step becomes not a big deal, then take another little step. And keep doing that until you get through it. So you have somebody who's supportive. Notice that's kind of a theme here, right, with people growing up. If you have somebody that's supportive, it's, it's helpful. If you have somebody supportive, they'll help you with those little steps. 
and they won't be angry with you because you can't take big steps. You've done it before, Cheryl. You've gotten rid of a lot of fears. This is just another one on your list. So you attack this one the same way you attack all of them, with resolve, with an intent to get through it, and one small step at a time. All right. Well, that that wraps up the session. Um, We have... Uh, now, those of you who have submitted questions from the uh, forum, I know they've been backed up. Uh, they're they're quite backed up a few months, but we are going to get to them. Um, we always give preference to those who are live here at the Fireside Chat. We will do them in a Tom Campbell Answers Your Question um, video and for, for YouTube, so they will be answered, and I promise we will get to them. Uh, and also any of the questions that we have uh, left over here today, too. Um, thank you all very much. Please consider helping out Oliver with the server, and uh, that can be done through his matrixvisin.de website. Thanks again, Oliver and Justin. Tom Campbell here. INMBT Events, hope you liked this video. We now have well over a thousand hours of free video on this user-friendly, ad-free YouTube channel. Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing, and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.